Welcome to the October 27th Worship Podcast of Bethlehem and Zion Lutheran Church. Let's begin with prayer. Mighty God, your servant Rehoboam divided your kingdom with his tyranny, yet you remained faithful to both kingdoms, even in the midst of conflict. Show us your presence in conflict and help us to resolve our differences, uniting this world in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And our scripture reading for today comes from 1 Kings. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. When Jeroboam heard of it, then he returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke that he placed on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the older men who had attended his father Solomon while he was alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? They answered him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But Rehoboam disregarded the advice that the older men gave him and consulted with the young men who had grown up with him and now attended him. He said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus you should say to this people who spoke to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you must lighten it for us. Thus you should say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king had said. The king answered the people harshly. He disregarded the advice that the older men had given him and spoke to them according to the advice of the young men. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. When all Israel saw that the king would not listen to them, The people answered the king, What share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, O David. So Israel went away to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and resided there. He went out from there and built Penuel. Then Jeroboam said to himself, Now the kingdom may well revert to the house of David. If this people continues to go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, the heart of this people will turn again to their master, King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. He said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Our accompanying gospel comes from Mark chapter 10. So Jesus called them and said to him, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Last week's reading was a celebratory story. David had been anointed king. He led Israel to victory and united the 12 tribes of Israel into one nation. 
He established Jerusalem as the government and religious center of Israel. And he and the people danced and celebrated when the ark, the symbol of God's presence, was returned to Jerusalem. But unlike Ruth's story from the week before, this one isn't a happily ever after story. Now during David's reign, Israel prospered economically in a big way, and it did even more so during the reign of his son, King Solomon. But the internal corruption with David's family and within David himself left a mark on the monarchy that could never be erased. That mark eventually led to the downfall of Israel. The first black mark against David involved Bathsheba. David abused his power to take Bathsheba. She took her away from her husband Uriah and then had Uriah killed. The first baby conceived to Bathsheba died. Later, one of David's sons raped his half-sister Tamar. David did nothing. So his son Absalom killed his brother to seek justice for his sister. David's sons, in fact, mostly ended up dead in the rivalries over who would inherit the throne. David's choice was Solomon, Bathsheba's son. Nowhere near the firstborn, he wasn't really the legal choice. It's not too surprising that his brothers were opposed. David's reign was also marked by endless wars. David had wanted to build God's temple, but God told him he had shed too much blood to be the one to build the temple. But God had made a covenant with David, and God was faithful to that covenant, and the covenant was passed on to his son Solomon. During Solomon's reign, he consolidated, consolidated power by marrying wives who were the daughters of foreign rulers. Scripture says he had hundreds of wives. He built a magnificent temple for the worship of God. He built great cities, and the economy was booming. But all that Solomon built was built with forced, harsh labor. In a sense, their own king had led Israel back into slavery. For all his faults, David had remained faithful to God. Solomon did not. God's covenant with David said that his son would also reign over a united kingdom, so the kingdom did actually stay together during Solomon's time on the throne. But that ended with the next generation. Rehoboam was Solomon's son, and under him, things fell apart. The people resented Solomon for the harsh conditions and forced labor he imposed. Rehoboam had a shot at making things better. He had good counsel in the older men who told him, ease up, be a servant to your people, not a slave driver. But Rehoboam didn't like that advice. He wanted to be a tough guy. So he listened to the younger men's advice instead. Starting from a place where he feels compelled to let people know he was more of a man than his father because of the size of his genitals, Rehoboam promised the people he would be even harsher than his father. Disgusted, Jeroboam decided to set up a new government outside of its Jerusalem. He too had a shot at making things better, but he became fearful that he would lose his power to Rehoboam if the people had to keep going to Jerusalem for worship. So he draws them away with new gods, golden calves. He draws them away with false promises of something better. This part of the story echoes Aaron's building of the golden calves way back in the, in the wilderness after the Exodus. Under Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the kingdom divides into two parts. Israel is ruled by Jeroboam, Solomon's old advisor. Judah in the south is ruled by Rehoboam, David's grandson. The whole thing is kind of a dumpster fire, and from here it keeps going downhill. Next week is All Saints Sunday, so we'll break from the narrative lectionary, and then when we resume, we'll begin a several-week look at the prophets. 
During the time of the prophets, Israel and Judah's corruption had weakened them to the point where they were vulnerable to attack by more powerful nations. They were defeated by those powerful nations, and many of the people from Judah were sent into exile. The northern kingdom of Israel essentially ceased to exist. See, God's people were to live in a particular way. With God and God's covenant at their center, they were to be a model to the rest of the world for life lived with God as a ruler. Under God's rule, they would live a life of peace and justice, especially for the weakest members of their community. Their leaders were to be servant leaders who would uphold that kind of life for the well-being of the whole community. But those leaders failed. They fell into the same trap of greed and power-mongering and idolatry that is such a temptation for all leaders and all rulers of all times and places. They lost their center. So as always, how do we hear something for us in this story? And are there any ties we can make to the Reformation, which we're celebrating this Sunday? It's kind of a funny thing. Today's story is about a nation divided. We also seem to be living in a nation divided. The church is divided more or less along the same lines as the political divisions. We mostly view division as a negative thing. And surely when division leads to a divisiveness that just simply paralyzes, it's not good. But the Reformation did in fact divide, and the church has kept dividing ever since. Sometimes the church divides over things that seem inconsequential. Sometimes a congregation divides because part of the congregation doesn't like the pastor. I've seen more congregations divide because the worship time was changed than just about anything. Even in those situations, though, if you look, there are often deeper and very unhealthy divisions. But sometimes the divisions in the church have happened because they needed to. At its heart, Reformation means getting rid of beliefs and practices that are wrong, that aren't consistent with the gospel. Martin Luther led the Protestant Reformation as a reaction to the greed, corruption, and power plays of the Roman Catholic Church of the time. All that greed and power-mongering and sometimes even downright evil were done in the name of God. In a word, sometimes division is necessary because human sin makes an institution a tool of the wrong side. It becomes an institution that has lost its center. The problem is, after divisions, sin keeps getting back in. Way back in ancient Israel, Jeroboam was right to break off. Rehoboam was all about using his power against his people and wasn't really fit to rule. But then Jeroboam ultimately didn't do much better. He got worried about keeping his power and drew the people away with false promises. Both of them lost their center. They lost their commitment to God. They didn't hold up their end of the covenant God had made with them. Well, so what is our center? It's in fact also a covenant. It's the new covenant. It's the new covenant written in Jesus' blood. Take and drink. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Our center is not the law, it's a person, it's Jesus. Our center is us joined to Christ in death and resurrection. But frankly, knowing that won't always help divisions within the church. And in fact, sometimes it will lead to division. And in these days, the most common divisions aren't even within or between churches. They're people who separate themselves from the church altogether. There are people who recognize that the church often doesn't look much like, like the guy they say they follow. There are people who long for the Spirit of God but don't seem to find that Spirit in many churches. I think all that points not to the end of the church, but to its ongoing reformation. Too often when churches say we need to get back to our center, they're talking about law. They uphold a Christianity whose perceived moral superiority excludes people they're not comfortable with. 
they forget that Jesus hung out with the people that made the Pharisees uncomfortable. The church all too often lifts up leaders who are charismatic and powerful. They join themselves to political power and forget that those we are called by Jesus to love and serve are the sick, the poor, the immigrant, the outsider, and the prisoners. Leaders in the church are called to servant leadership, empowered by the Holy Spirit and not by human power. I think, in our time and place, the church is being pushed to get back to its real center, the crucified and risen Christ, the one whose self-giving love is a model for us, the one whose spirit dwells within us and within the church, the spirit that's so active and alive in the world that she sometimes takes our breath away. A church like that will experience continued death and resurrection. But a church that can help connect people to that center is a church that God can use to love, heal, and serve the world. Amen. As a guidance for your prayers this week, I would suggest praying for our leaders, leaders in our churches, leaders in our nations, uh, voters, and all of those who will be involved in upcoming elections. Pray that we uh, all would approach leadership and our choice of leaders uh, with the goal of servant leadership in mind. Have a good week, and we will meet again next week.